Hey, it's great to have everyone here. Uh, my name's Stephen. I apologise for not introducing myself. Um, last week, last week, um, my wife and I preached together um, on the topic of marriage. And um, for those that missed out, um, it is available on the podcast. Uh, what's amazing is I've been preaching at, at our church here for six years, right? Nearly six years. And even before that, at my previous church, I've been preaching for nearly seven years. So I've been preaching for nearly 15 years, right? I've never received so much feedback from one message than I did last week. And I think it's because of Mel. So, you know, thanks so much to, to the feed. I had people, I had people asking if the recording of the podcast was up. I've never had that before, right? And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Um, and so Mel and I, we will preach again together soon. Not, no. <laughs> Not too soon, but soon. He was a little bit nervous. Um, we, we ended up, and we do apologize, we ended up cutting the last bit off where we sort of had a bit of a slug, slug fest at the end, but, but that's okay. Come over and have dinner and we'll give you that part. Uh, Mel and I, we have been married for um, 12 and a half years. And, and one of the interesting things that happens after you get married is everything changes. You know, people think, oh, you know, marriage and a little, you know, a few things, you make a few adjustments. That, that's people that haven't been married. Everyone that's been married understands that once you get married, everything changes. And it should, you know. What I ate changed. I was talking to someone yesterday and I love instant noodles, obviously. You don't, you don't have a physique like this without loving instant noodles. And so when I was in uni, I would have instant noodles three times a week, you know, at least, right? Uh, after getting married, I have it maybe three to five times a year, which is interesting because I still have the same physique. <laughs> so, you know, like, um, you know, how my, my sleeping patterns changed after I got married. And then obviously after I had kids, you know, it's not up to like, when do I want to go to sleep and when do I wake up? It's when do the kids go to sleep and when do they wake up? And that usually determines how I sleep. Uh, how my money is spent obviously changes, you know? Your money is her money and her money is her money. You know, that's, that's, that's marriage, right? Um, you know, it all changes. And see, everything in my life changed because of this one little girl, right? See, marriage isn't something that, that I did. Therefore, you know, my behavior changed. Marriage actually changed my identity from being a single man to one that is now one with another. It wasn't about the areas of my behavior changing but it's because my identity changed. My core inside changed from being single to married. Therefore, what translated out into my life was change. You got what I'm saying? There's a big difference. See, this is what Jesus does for all of us. And I've been beating this drum because I think Paul is beating this drum in the book of Ephesians that we're in. 
that the gospel of Jesus, the message of Jesus Christ, doesn't just affect certain areas of our lives, it actually transforms our identity. And because our identity is transformed, not just some of our behavior, but our identity is transformed, therefore, every part of our behavior changes. Every part of our lives transformed. So, so Jesus didn't make us go from bad to good, but he made us from dead to alive. And because we are now alive, because our identity has been changed, every area of our life changes. As believers of Jesus Christ, there is not a single area of our life that isn't transformed by Jesus. The Apostle Paul is going to show us this again through today's passage in Ephesians. And, and, and what I've titled the everyday gospel. How Jesus transforms the way we live in our everyday lives. Here's the problem. The problem is we've separated our spiritual life from our physical life. We've separated our church life and our non-church life. And what we've done is we've allowed Jesus to affect and, and, and transform our spiritual life. But he doesn't have the effect in our everyday life. But that is not right. Because Jesus, when your identity is changed by Jesus, it affects every part of your life. That would be like saying, you know, I'm married at home, but once I'm outside the house, well, I'm back to being single and do whatever I want. That's ridiculous. doesn't make sense. And it's the same thing with Jesus. If the gospel has transformed us, then it must affect every day of our lives and every sphere of our lives. Now, we're in uh, Ephesians chapter 6. It's actually the second last week of Ephesians. Uh, it's already the end of autumn. We started this as an autumn series. It's been gone for, for 12 weeks now. Uh, next week uh, is a fun passage. It's about the armor of God, about spiritual warfare and all these really complicated things. So Pastor May is preaching next week. <laughs> so, uh, and I'm not even going to be here because I'm downstairs with the kids next week. So that's going to be super fun uh, for me. I don't know if it's going to be fun for the kids, but, you know, you get what you get and you don't get upset. Paul's going to talk about four areas that a lot of us can relate to, okay? He's going to talk about being a child, being a parent, being a slave, and being a master. And we're not talking about marriage, okay? Slave and master, okay? We're talking about household employment. Um, and we're going to, uh, we'll go through the passage and we'll see. Okay, so we're in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. So this is the first part he talks about being a child. Verse 1, children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. See, everyone here, regardless of our background, everyone here is a child. Everyone here is a child. And, because, and, and, and Paul says that because we are living gospel beings, the way that we are called to be children to our parents, right, regardless of what age you are. Isn't that the amazing thing about being a child? You can be 70 years old and still be, and, and you're still someone's child. Regardless of your situation or your circumstance, Paul says, because of the gospel, right, there are two things that we're called to do as children. Firstly, we are called to be obedient 
And secondly, we are called to be honorable. Why? Why obey? Paul says we obey because this is right. It's pretty simple. It's just the right thing to do. Why do we honor them? Because it was commanded by God. Actually, this is the fifth commandment that that God gave to Moses out of the Ten Commandments, right? He says, honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. It was commanded to us. So we're told to obey our parents because it's the right thing to do. And we're told to honor our parents because God commands this. Here's 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 the interesting part. We, a lot of us don't have parents uh, that might have been great, to put it simply. Um, A lot of us, or some of us might have parents that probably don't deserve, in some way, our obedience or our honor. But Paul says nothing about the state of our parents. He says nothing about who your parents are. He's just talking to you as a child. And what, what, the, what the Bible is saying, regardless of who your parents are, regardless of what, uh, what, what they've done, you are called, because of Jesus, you are called to obey and honor them. Because we belong to God. We have been made alive with Christ. So we are called to obey and honor, regardless of who your parents are. I know for some of us, this is a, it's a hard pill to swallow. And I don't take this, um, and, I, and I, I don't want to take that away from um, this message. I know that for some of us, when we um, talk about mums and dads, uh, for some of us, it's a great celebration. And for some of us, it's just a lot of pain and trauma. And I'm not taking away from that. I really am. You know, I'm, I'm a parent. I'm a dad. Um, it's, it's tough being a dad. Uh, it's tough being a, a, a godly dad as well. Um, but I'm glad that the Bible says that the kids should obey and, and, and honor, not because of me, not because of my action, but because of God. This is how the gospel translates in our lives. This is how the gospel transforms our lives, that we're called to obey and honor our parents. Uh, the second area that Paul talks about is being a parent. This is found in verse 4 of chapter 6. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, Paul says, fathers, and I think this relates to mums as well. He says, do not exasperate your child. Do not exasperate your children. Now, this this is a big word, right? What does the word exasperate mean? It literally means uh, to irritate or provoke towards anger. Right? So a modern day term for exasperate would be, do not troll your children. Now, some of you don't know what that means, and that's okay, because that's, you know, that's only what the cool kids say. It's really easy for parents to irritate and provoke their children. Um, (laughs) I I have so many examples of this that it's, I I can't even, um, I'll give you one, okay, uh, about my wife. (laughs) Because <laughs> I don't do this, obviously, because I'm a pastor. But my wife, she exasperates our children sometimes. And she, she pokes and prods them. Um, but I know a lot of parents do this, right? Like, when they're younger, they're like, hey, you want a you wanna lolly? And they're like, yeah, lolly. And they go, nah. 
And then, and then the kid gets all sad. And then they go, oh, okay, you're sad. Here, you're not lonely. And they go, oh, yeah. And they go, nah. This is, in modern day term, you're trolling your own child. Okay? In biblical terms, you are exasperating your child. Right? Uh, don't play jokes on them that, that would make them angry. Oh, here's an example. Oh, yeah, here's an example. My wife and I, I'll bury us both. My wife and I, we attacked our children with nerve guns the other day. <laughs> it was so much fun. It was just sad because we ran out of bullets. And then what happened was we ended up turning on each other and just trying to shoot each other. And then that didn't end very well. Um, it, 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 the, Paul says, do, do not exasperate them. But instead, instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. While I was reading, I found this quote. It's a great quote. It says this. Our children need disciplined love and loving discipline, not indulgence or bullying. Our children need disciplined love and loving discipline, not indulgence or bullying. Parents, bring up your children in the training and the instruction of the Lord. See, the thing we need to understand about this command is this. When we, uh, the, the phrase bring up, bring up, and this is all to, to I, I know that, you know, half of you guys aren't parents, but hopefully one day you will become parents, so just listen in, okay? But for all the parents, to bring up your children means to actively be involved, Okay, bring up is an active phrase. It's something that we need to do. The problem with parents these days is that we are not active in bringing up our children. We actually are very passive. And we kind of just let them grow up. Okay, um, we pass on the responsibility to others to bring up our children. Schools, tutoring colleges, child cares, sports clubs, Grandparents, the church, you know, dump and run, you know. We just expect, you know, everyone else to raise our own children, but we're not doing it ourselves. And, you know, none of these things like that I mentioned, they're, they're not necessarily bad things, but, but you're offloading your responsibility as a parent and you're asking someone else to raise them. But here's the thing about children, especially to parents, and I'm saying to myself as well, if you are not raising your children, then someone else is. If you are not the greatest influence in their life, then you're letting someone else be that influence. And you're not being a parent. Uh, just on this note, I just want to share what I think are the two biggest problems that I see with modern parents. Firstly, as I mentioned, we're just not as involved. I think parents are just not involved. Like, we, we just, we, we, we care about their physicality. You know, we'll put food on the table, we'll put clothes on their back. But in terms of spiritual care, mental care, emotional care, psychological care, we're not involved. We're passing this off onto other um, organizations and other people. And uh, the example, um, the example of this is, and I'm, and I'm guilty of this too, is when you go to the local park, on a Saturday or an evening or whatever, right? When you go to the local park, you see kids playing, but you look at what the parents are doing. 
and there's a good percentage of parents, their kids are playing, and the parents are just, what are they doing? They're on their phone. They're not involved at all. Um, and, and, and I think that's the first, you know, issue with, with modern-day parents. And I say, I'm, 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 not, I'm not saying that I'm up here and everyone else is down here. I'm down here too. But it is definitely a huge issue. The second problem is this. Um, there's no discipline. Children need discipline. They need loving discipline. Proverbs 13, 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but whoever loves him is diligent to discipline him. So many times parents get this wrong, right? We think that discipline is punishment. And we, we, we take discipline and we link it with anger and hatred. But the Bible tells us, no, you only discipline who you love. Because think about it. If you didn't love your child, if you didn't love, then you wouldn't even discipline. You just wouldn't care. You'd be indifferent to them. But if you love them, you will discipline them. Discipline is an act of love, not punishment. Now, I say the word discipline and not abuse. Very different words. There's a very, very clear line between disciplining your child and abusing your child. And sadly, in, in, in history, that line has been blurred many a time. Now, why am I sharing this with you? I'm sharing this with you, especially to the parents of our church. And I'm sharing this because I really love you, and I really love your children, and I want your children to have the best um, for you. I, I want you to have the best family. But some of you need to start disciplining your children. There are days where I was, I'm like, man, if I could just smack that kid, all right? And some of you are like, oh, that's definitely not my kid. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest, it's probably your kid. If you're the one that's thinking, oh, it's someone else's kid, it's probably your kid. And if you really want to know, if you really want to know, if I'm talking about your kid, come up, ask me. I love you, I will tell you. I reckon more than 50% of our kids need more discipline. I promise you, I'm, I'm not saying this because I'm angry. I'm just, I just don't want your kids to turn up like, like rat bags. And I don't want you to have issues later in your family because you couldn't be the parent. I think that's the problem. What we need is, the Bible is saying, what we need is parents to be parents. Not parents to be friends. I just want to be my, my kid's friend. I was listening to a sermon about this. You know, there are, right? I just want to be my child's best friend. And this preacher's like, man, if that's you, you're a loser. Make your own friends. <laughs> you know what? Your children, they don't need you to be their friend. They need you to be their parent. Because that's your job. You think that, you know, you're loving them by not disciplining them? I promise you, you're crippling them for life. I don't know, this sounds really harsh, right? But I have the most children in our church, therefore I have the right to talk about this. Once you have more than four children, which means you have to have five children, even if you have four because I got here first, okay? 
right? It's like Catan, right? Longest road. If you get there first, right, you hold the longest road, okay? I have the most children. When you have five, you can then tell me what you think about disciplining your children is. But until then, listen, okay? Parents learn to be parents. This is what the gospel says. The third area and the fourth area is going to talk about slaves and masters, okay? And obviously, uh, this is written in in an age where slavery was an accepted uh, part of society, okay? If you actually think about it, slavery, modern-day slavery, well, not modern-day slavery, slavery has, 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 has only been abolished in the Western world for maybe a hundred, few hundred years. It's actually very recent that we didn't have slaves, right? But one of the things that, as, 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 as we'll, read the, we'll read the scripture, but I want you to see this as um, not just slaves and masters, but in the idea of worker and boss, employee and employer. I think there are some commonalities. Verse 5 to 8, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of uh, each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or Now, as I said, Paul is addressing the household employment situation where at the time having slaves was acceptable. Okay, obviously now not acceptable. Okay, just making that sure. But it's talking about, I I think we can relate this to the worker and the boss, the employee and the employer. And the two commands that are given to the workers, to the employees, is this. Firstly, to obey with respect and fear and with, sinc- with sincerity. And secondly, to serve wholeheartedly. When we're working under someone, we're called to obey just as we would obey Christ. And we are called to serve just as if we were serving God himself. Now, once again, Paul says nothing about the condition of the master. And in the same way, I don't think the Bible is talking about the condition of your workplace or your boss or what kind of person that person. You know, if you knew my boss, you wouldn't, you know. If you knew the manager that I had to work under, it's so hard to love, it's so hard to serve and obey. But no, Paul is saying, no, you, you are called to serve and obey, not because of the master, not because of the boss and not because of your workplace, but because of God. He says, obey and serve like you are obeying and serving Christ and God. And this is what makes us different as living gospel beings. That we trust that God is in control. Not our managers or our directors or our workplaces, but God is in control. And because God is in control, the way that we present ourselves and the work that we do should reflect the gospel rather than the workplace. The way that we conduct ourselves in the workplace should ultimately be a reflection of the God that we serve and love rather than your situation and circumstance. We're called to be honest and gracious just as God was for us. See, once again, we go back to the problem. The problem that most Christians have is that we separate faith and work. We separate, you know, times to honor God and 
Everything else is like, yeah, do whatever you want. And that's the reason why. Let's, let's, let's be honest. When you're working, you know, like you're thinking about God right now because I'm telling you, you should think about God because there is Bible verse on the screen and so you're thinking about God. Five minutes ago or 10 minutes ago, we were singing songs about God. That's why you're thinking about God. As soon as you leave the door, Right? The problem is we go, okay, church is done. Christianity, Christianity is done. My faith part, spiritual part is done. Now let's get back to work. Let's get back on with my life. But the problem is you are still you. Your identity as someone that has been transformed by the gospel is still you. So wherever you go, the gospel should go with you. That includes your workplace. Now I'm going to tell you, Okay, he's a clear example, okay, of whether, whether you know that, that uh, the gospel has transformed you in the workplace. Do your workmates know that you're a Christian? Do they know that you're a Christian? And you know what? Some people are like, well, you know, I, you know, we don't really talk about it. And I'm like, you spend 40 hours a week with them. Surely... Somewhere down the line, someone would have gone, hey, what are you doing on Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m.? Right? Someone would have asked you, hey, what are you doing on the weekends? Hey, ask some controversial question about, you know, religion. An opportunity for you to just be and say who you are. But let's be real. If your workmates that you spend 40 hours minimum, 40 hours a week with, do not know that you are Christian, that's a really interesting situation. Because imagine your workmates didn't know you were married. Is that even possible? Is that even possible, right? It's not. Because somewhere in your conversation, somewhere along the line, somewhere you would have shown a photo, uh, you know, an experience, somewhere it would have come out. But the fact that they don't know you're a Christian. You know what that actually means? It means you're actively working to actually hide that. You're actually actively stopping yourself from saying that. <laughs> if you didn't know I was married after six years at this church, right, that'd be really uncomfortable, right? And what would that, what would that, what does that reflect on my relation, well, my marriage, obviously? It's horrible. It's like I would be, like, I'm embarrassed about my wife. Or I'm embarrassed about the fact that I'm married. Right? Now, translate that back into work. It's the same thing. If people in your workplace don't know your faith, you're actively hiding it. It's not that you're just, you know, subjectively not doing anything about it. No, you're, you're actively actually saying, you're, you're steering the conversations away. I, I, I work at Bunnings, um, and there was one season, um, I work at Our Time and Bunnings. I've been working at Our Time and Bunnings for six years now, more, more six and a half years. Um, I've watched, I've been there longer than all the managers there, right? And there was a time where, um, there was a young guy in the paint section and, and he was just really confused with his life. And so I'd go in and I'd just start talking to him. And he'd go, hey, what'd you do on the weekend? i say, oh, yeah, Saturday when went and played soccer with the kids and then Sunday I went to church. He goes, oh, you go to church? I used to go to church. And so we struck up this conversation. So along the way, he found out that I was a pastor of a church. And 
And what I didn't realize what would happen was he then went and told other people in the workplace, hey, that rep from that, that company, he's actually a pastor of church. So one day I, walk, I rock up into work, I, w- I walk into the office, and this lady, who's a very nice lady, very friendly lady, she goes, hey, what's up, pastor? Right? And what was interesting was as soon as that went around, as soon as I walk in, people just see me differently. Right? But here's the funnier part. I was so convicted to work so hard in that store, right? (laughs) Why? Because everyone knew I was a pastor, right? So it's like I'm representing God. I'm not representing my company. I'm representing God. So the way that I work, you know, the level of integrity and whatnot. Now, but here's, here's the issue. Should it not have been like that to start off with, right? Even before they knew I was a pastor, even before they knew I was a Christian, shouldn't the way that I work represent God? And that's when I realized that the way that I work was rubbish. (laughs) It really challenged me. Really challenged me. It's not just like, hey, I'm a Christian, but the way you work, the way you deal with your managers and your bosses and your companies, the gospel is a part of all of that. You can't separate it. Finally, Paul then talks about being a boss, being a master. Um, he says this in verse 9. He says, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is their, uh, both their master, sorry, he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Bosses, okay, this is people that are in positions of, you have underlings, okay, you have people that work underneath you, like you, you might run your own business, okay, this is talking to you, okay, the Bible is telling you, treat your workers in the same way, what's that way, the way that God would treat them, see, the gospel affects every area of our lives, even in the way you run your business, The way you treat your employees should be different to the way a non-believer treats them. Why? Because a non-believer, it does not care about the employee. Think about it. The non-believer, you know, and I am generalizing because I'm sure there are very nice non-believers as well and great bosses too. But but generally, the non-believer is concerned about their bottom line, is concerned about the bottom dollar. But as a Christian, we have more things to be concerned about about the way we love people, the way we treat people. And that's what, that's what Paul's saying. He says, do not threaten them since you know that their boss and your boss is God. Paul's reminding them that we all still live under the heavenly master and one day we will all be accountable to the big boss. Quote, CEOs, CEOs and street sweepers will stand in the same dock on Judgment Day. Doesn't matter what position you hold in society or what you do, you will all stand before God in the same place and you will have to account for Him, whether you are a billionaire or whether you are in poverty. So what Paul is saying to those that manage businesses and have workers 
Let the gospel transform the way you lead. Now, all of us are are children. Some of us are parents. Some of us will become parents later. Some of us are workers. Some of us are bosses. But the one commonality in whatever situation you are in is you. You are in each of these situations, but the question that I'm asking tonight is who are you? Have you been made alive with Christ, been transformed by the good news that Jesus came to save you from your sin? If that's the case, then the you that turns up at home, the you that turns up to work, is one that is transformed by the gospel. The gospel lives in you and you live for the gospel. But if you are looking at your family life, if you're looking at your work life, and it's hard to see glimpses of the gospel, then the question must be asked, if you're not living for the gospel, is the gospel living in you? If the gospel isn't transforming the way you live, then has the gospel transformed you at all? Remember, it's not about the doing. We're not asking questions about the way your behavior is. The core essence of these questions is about your being, of who you are. Do you belong to God? Your identity. Are you a son and daughter of the living God? Because the rest will naturally translate. What Paul is saying, and and my prayer for you, is that you would be transformed by the gospel. Not behavior, but your identity. That, That you would be transformed by the good news that God saved you. He saved you from death to life, from your sins through his son Jesus. And that through this transformation, that the gospel, the gospel, the same gospel that saved you would be the same gospel that is present in your everyday life. Let's pray.